You're listening to another episode of Successfully Funded with your guest host, Sean Neal of the Woodshed Agency, sitting in for your regular host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. Let's turn it up. Welcome, 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 crowdfunders. This is Successfully Funded, the crowdfunding podcast with your guest host, Sean Neal, sitting in for Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. Um, Today we have a great guest, Adam Lieb, who is the uh, co-founder of the company that has done The Traveler, uh, the ultimate distraction-free writing tool over on Indiegogo. Uh, This is a really interesting device. Think of it like a... um, a minimized laptop um, geared specifically for writers uh, designed to completely eliminate distraction. It was a really fascinating conversation, uh, not only on on the creative process and eliminating all the distractions that are in front of us with our, our multiple screens and alerts and pop-ups and notifications that, that can kind of get in the way of the writing process, but what, you know, what kind of magic happens around a, a a crowdfunding project when you have this device that is a statement piece for for the backers and the people supporting it and and how to market to a really narrow audience and still have some major success so look forward to that conversation coming up um, for those of you who are are new to this podcast this is the podcast where we you know talk to uh, project founders and, and creators and people out there uh, having success in the world of crowdfunding both in uh, equity and reward based crowdfunding and kind of unlock the insights and secrets and, and tools and, and strategies and things that they use to be successful and get their campaigns across uh, across the finish line here. Um, these are most of the time not clients of ours, are just people out there having random success in the world, and we want to share their, their information and experiences with you guys, the project creators, the dreamers, the doers, the people out there with an idea they want to get funded and get across. Uh, so um, what, what is happening today in the world of Woodshed Agency? Well, today, Michigan is locked down again. That's right. Uh, we have a uh, shutdown to electric boogaloo has uh, been put into effect. Uh, we have uh, you know a pretty pretty big problem here with the, with the COVID nineteen. Uh, our, our infection rates have almost tripled in the last two weeks. Our hospitals are are becoming overrun. We don't have ICU beds left. Our, our deaths are going up, and uh, it's because the people are not wearing the masks. They're not they're not doing the thing. They you know there seems to be this. Um, political statement of um, showing your disdain for um, liberalism and compassion and, and science and, and facts uh, by not wearing a mask and not protecting your fellow man seems to be the way that people are expressing their, their displeasure with, um, you know, with science and progress and, and, and the situation. And, and unfortunately, that's causing more people to get sick and you know, they're gathering indoors and they're, you know, going to restaurants or having house parties and doing things that, uh, encourage the spread of the disease. And, and this is what's happened. So, you know, things shut down and businesses suffer. You know, I, I live in Detroit, Michigan here and, uh, you know, I'm, a you know, if you follow the Woodshed Agency podcast, you know, that Jeff and I come from a music background, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the creative community here. I'm a member of the the music scene, the the theater scene, the filmmaker scene, and uh, you know all my friends that have small businesses and own bars and restaurants or performers or whatnot are are really really you know hurt when when we go into these shutdowns and, and I feel their pain and um, you know there's there's no help coming from from the federal government or whatnot and you know it kind of pains me to see you know the 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 anti science the anti mask crowd. Um, you know, turn and blame it on, on, oh, here comes, you know, Governor Whitmer looking to kill small business again, you know, kill, kill progress um, when, when we do these orders. And, and you know, it's kind of like, no, man, you're, the, the everyday actions you're taking are what's got us in this mess and, and why there's these consequences. So that's, so anyway, that's what we woke up to today. You know, uh, uh, late last night, the order came across. And, uh, you know, last night and today we're kind of dealing with the aftermath. And, you know, what, what it means for me is, you know, since the pandemic, you know, we, we moved out of the, uh, I moved out of the woodshed office and I've been working from home so as not to expose, you know, Team Wenzel to, 
to uh, uh, the Rona or, or potential for the Rona. And, um, you know, so I don't see people much other than um, I was, you know, going to CrossFit gym and and uh, really, really paying attention to my health and working out in, in safe conditions, either outdoors when it was warm enough and now indoors in these pods. And then, you know, occasionally meeting up for people in, in safe, socially distanced outdoor environments. And, uh, you know, that's it's going to be back to three weeks of, uh, you know, walking the dog and staying in the old office here and not doing much and uh, trying not to eat the, the Trader JoJo's and the cookies and gain the weight back. So um, a little bit of a bummer, but it's it's for the public good. It's it's for the, you know, the health and safety of everyone. And that's just the choices, you know that we make. We either choose to have compassion and, and wear the mask or, you know, ensure that our, our fellow citizens don't get sick and we don't, we don't get grandma sick or mom sick or, you know, or not do that because uh, we're expressing some misinformed lack of freedom um, to not wear a mask and our freedom to infect and spread disease, I guess. I don't, I don't understand it, but... But anyway, so that's what we're dealing with over here. This is what's this is what's happening in uh, Woodland, in Michigan. Um, so yeah, so that's that's one thing that's weighing pretty heavy. Um, yeah. So what else is going on? What else is out there in the world? Um, so let's talk about creating in the uh, in these COVID conditions and what can be done. And um, it's been a minute since I've guest hosted and talked to you guys. I want to tell you a little bit of a story about how to do things right in in these conditions. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of you that have listened to episodes I've been on know that I'm a drummer and that I, um, I primarily play in musical theater productions these days um, when I do get the opportunity to play. And usually what ends up happening once a year, I'll be part of Detroit Public Theater as a drummer in whatever musical they're putting on. And, you know, of course, when, when COVID hit, uh, everything shut down, and, you know, rightfully so for the reasons we just talked about, and that meant no theater. And um, what they decided to do was, you know, the very first production we did um, with Detroit Public Theater was a friend of mine, Eric Gutman's um, kind of one-man musical uh, called From Broadway to Obscurity, which is kind of the story of him, you know, entering the acting scene, coming out of Detroit, finally making it to the stage on Broadway as a performer in Jersey Boys, and then kind of how he came to leave um, Jersey Boys and come back to Michigan and and um, continue his career as, a, as an actor and performer and whatnot uh, in the state of Michigan and not on Broadway. And uh, so it's a one-man show with a, with a four-piece band behind him, and they said, hey, look, we're going to partner with PBS, and we're going to rent a, a closed-down community college stage, and we're going to COVID-safe um, stage a filming of this musical. And, um, and I got asked to be part of it as a, as a drummer, and it was um, a really really crazy experience and seeing that, you know, not only all of the the people involved that are necessary to put on a staged musical production, you know, which are not only performers and directors and producers, but set dressers and lighting people and stage directors and all, all musical directors and all those things that are involved in, in um, the performing side of a staged production, but all the film crew and the, the broadcast crew and the production crew. And um, what was really cool about it is we did everything, you know, obviously socially distanced. We all had to test before, during, and after um, the, the three or four days of filming. So, you know, up the nose of the rubber hose COVID test to make sure we were all clean. We all had to do the, you know, the daily temperature check and, you know, don't come to work if you don't feel good thing, the, the normal protection. But we were all wearing, you know, the masks and the visors. And um, we all had to be, you know, kind of assigned to our pod which was, you know, a small group of people that you interacted with, and you can only interact with those people. And, you know, as you had to move throughout um, the production during the day, you know, you, you moved with your pods. So the musicians, you know, the, the four band members, you know, uh, piano, drums, bass, guitar, um, we were in our own little separate dressing rooms on the far left corner of the stage, and, you know, when we were needed, we would, you know, move up as a group together, not really... Um, touching anyone or, or being around anyone into our positions on stage, which were these little bubbles that were um, um, all at least eight feet apart from each other. So you're playing very far away from another musician, which was kind of interesting. 
Uh, but, you know, we didn't really interact with anyone else. And you saw that they had, you know, the, the VTR people. These are the people that were, you know, kind of in charge of the live elements of the broadcast. They had their own little pod. The, the, the camera crew had their own little pod of people they were moving around with. The, the capture and color grading crew, you know, all these little separate areas, you know, backstage, side stage, above stage, rooms adjacent to the stage, um, the, the booth, the back of the theater, you know, all, everyone in their own little group. And just the respect for the organization it took to, you know, do a fairly complicated thing, which is a film adaptation of a staged production in front of nobody, so no audience, this kind of vacuum of emptiness performing to. But, um, you know, doing it in a way that's safe and, you know, um, tested and, 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 you know, no one got sick, no one, no one had exposure. Um, the, the the final production uh, debuted on PBS a, a few weeks ago. You can go see it. It's called From Broadway to Obscurity. And uh, it came out great. And it was just a, a, a real impressive example of what can actually be done with restrictions in a safe manner to create art or or a product or a thing or, you know, it's not, not the most ideal conditions or sacrifices that had to be made, but it proves you can go do it. And it can... Um, you know, art can exist, uh, um, performance can exist, a little weird because you're wearing a mask, but so be it, it's a sign of the times, and, um, you know, versus this, um, you know, screw everybody, let people get infected, I'm just not going to wear my mask, and and to hell with you all, so um, those are my two experiences, you know, in, in, in recent weeks here, is, um, you know, kind of the shock and reaction to people, um, you know, not doing the socially responsible thing and, and, and having a visceral reaction against leaders that are making tough choices between, um, you know, economic decisions and public safety decisions. And, you know, when smart people, creative people get together in a room and problem solve, given these restrictions, you know, of, of how to create theater or music or art safely, um, what can actually be done when, when smart, compassionate people get together in a room see the set of problems in front of them, see the set of restrictions in front of them, and solve it and go make it. Um, and, you know, to some degree, that's kind of what, what we do as, as content creators here and project creators here, right? You know, we've got we've got these ideas that, that need to come to the world, and, you know, there's these these confines and constraints in, in the process of crowdfunding or digital marketing that kind of best practices and rules of behavior and ways you, you go about I'm doing these things to get great results, and uh, usually, if you have a great idea that, that has an audience and, and you, you follow these practices, you're going to be successful. So yeah, so that's that's my thing. End of rant. So um, so what what about this podcast? Let's say you're a you're a project creator out there. You've got an idea. You've got a, a product that wants to come to life, or or a company that you're thinking about getting funded, uh, maybe through equity crowdfunding or investment crowdfunding, or or you, you got an object or a device you want to bring to life on Kickstarter, what do you do? Well, um, we ask you to go to our website, woodshed.agency, and from there you can um, um, check out um, a bunch of different videos and information that we have for you. Uh, you can check out this podcast, which you can subscribe to here on whatever podcast app you're listening to, or go back to our website and, and see some back episodes and, and learn from your peers, learn from your pro- fellow project creators on what worked for them, or... If you really want to dig deep into what we're offering with Woodshed Agency, you can go to schedule a 20-minute consultation with myself or Mr. Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, and we'll get on the other end of the phone with you, check out your project, and give you our best tips or best pointers or best ideas. Uh, you know, Share with you um, kind of a download of our brain in, in direct context of what you're trying to do and, and hopefully get you funded. And um, that's what we're all about here at Woodshed Agency. You know, Yes, we have clients that we sign and we help, and that's great. And if you end up being one of those, all the better. But uh, what, what's really great for us is to be able to, to facilitate great best practices, great information that helps you, the doers, the creators, the makers out there, bring your projects to life, get funded, and, uh, and realize your dreams. So that's... That's what uh, we're all about here. So let's get to it, man. We had this great conversation with Adam Lieb. This is our, our main event, uh, talking about The Traveler, the ultimate distraction-free writing tool over on Indiegogo. Wow. 
All right, all right, all right. The red light is blinking. I am sitting here with Adam Lieb from Astro House and their free ride traveler. How's it going, Adam? I'm doing well. How are you, Sean? I'm doing fantastic. So let's get a little audio check level. The thing we like to do here on the Successfully Funded Podcast is ask our guests what they had for breakfast today. Coffee. That's always my breakfast. That's it. Plain and simple. No proteins, no whatevers. Oh, actually, you know, I, I did have a yogurt this morning. There you go. There you go. I've been uh, I've been doing the CrossFit and lifting thing all during COVID, so I had my shake. You know, good for you. My yeah, chalk water. Awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So, um, you know, you had a, a wildly successful campaign. Why, why don't you kind of give us the the rundown of the origin of this product? Yeah, this product, uh, Freeride Traveler, so we call it the a distraction-free writing tool. It's sort of it builds off of our distraction-free writing tool line that we originally started with um, the original Freeride, which was actually launched as it also as a, a crowdfunding campaign all the way back in December 2014. Now that product we called the Hemingwright initially, um, subsequently changed to Freeride, but. We had this concept to launch, uh, create a distraction-free writing tool that sort of married a simple interface from tools of yesteryear with digital documents and all the benefits that come with that. And so we had a lot of success with the original product. Uh, Like I said, we, we did that original crowdfunding campaign in 2014. We started shipping it. It was December, so basically we took all of 2015 to do the product design and the manufacturing. We started shipping in 2016 and have been shipping it ever since. And then sort of shortly thereafter, we had this concept to really take the same idea, this uh, distraction-free software, and repackage it into something that's smaller and folding, which is what became the the Freeride Traveler. And so we finally launched that on Indiegogo um, in October 2018, which is two years ago now, um, hard to imagine, but mm-hmm. it's been a long, a long, long journey finally getting that product out to shipping, which we've finally done starting in October of 2020. So fantastic. Yeah, it's been, it's been a wild journey. So let's unpack, let's unpack the genesis of this. So going back to the, the Hemingway slash original free, write, Um, <clears throat> reading the Kickstarter or, or the, the original campaign, it seems to be all about, <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm a little cough here. Seems to be all about eliminating all the the real distractions of working on a computer and the tactile distractions that are involved in writing these days. <clears throat> Sorry, can you give us a little bit more on that? Let, let, me, let me start yeah. over. I, I got to edit out those coughs because <clears throat> that's just way too much coughing. Um, <laughs> why, why don't we jump right in with you? Kind of, I'm going to ask you. Tell me about the origins of, of sure. this idea. The Diet Coke. All right. So why don't you tell us about the origins of this idea? So we came up with this distraction free writing concept uh, originally during a conversation about software and all the distraction free software that modern authors are using on their laptops and, and computers. And it just sort of came out during that initial discussion. Um you know, if, if writers are using this software to sort of dumb down their computers and, you know, provide this sort of special environment that helps them stay focused, like maybe there was something where we could bring sort of this really simple um, software environment, but then marry it with better hardware. So, you know, our laptops are multi-purpose devices. They're not really designed for writing. They're designed for doing all kinds of things. And so, you know, the keyboards have sort of gotten worse and worse. Um, You know, the screens are for, you know, doing editing and looking at photos and video and content, but most, I mean, content, you know, consumption a lot of times. And so we just had this idea. I mean, it, it was like, again, it was the first conversation. And at the time I'd, really been into mechanical keyboards and um, I also am a huge Kindle fan. And so just like, oh, okay, well, why don't we take this really simple software experience? We can put a e-ink screen in there because it's great to look at. It's not like a traditional LCD. You can write outside. It's super low power. And then also put in a really great mechanical keyboard. So you have that awesome tactile experience that 
that sort of has gone by the wayside. And so again, this was back in 2014. I mean, you know, now actually mechanical keyboards have seen like a resurgence. Um, but back then it was really, they were really sort of gone by the wayside. Uh, they, they had a niche in sort of like the gamer, the gamer and programmer community. But other than that, they were pretty, very, very small, um, small niche. And so, yeah, we just had this idea to kind of bring these components together and see what happened. Yeah, let's, un- let's unpack some of these details because I think these are the reason the- these subtle touches are why it's so successful. So let's start with um, the keyboard. I have several writer friends, mm-hmm. and to say persnickety about not only just you know the feel of the typewriter or the keyboard, but the entire environment that they have to create around themselves to kind of be able to be in the headspace of writing and, you know, when you're using one of the modern keyboards, which we all get with our Macs or whatnot, you know, that can take them out of it and get them into writer's block. So talk to me about what, what you're trying to recreate or, or get back to with this mechanical keyboard. The entire concept of the product is to remove as much friction from the writing process and also to sort of make it as enjoyable as possible. And I think, you know, the interface, which is the keyboard, from you know your mind to your hands to the device is so critical, and the, I, the way that we think about it is like, well, how can we sort of like allow the user, or the customer, to enjoy the writing process more? And you know, and and again, there's there's been a technology that's persisted. You know, these mechanical keyboards. Um, you know, while laptops have sort of gone one way, these mechanical keyboards have kind of you know persisted as like these really incredible um, you know tactile devices that are still such a joy to use but um, they're sort of you know become smaller and smaller in terms of like availability and like seeing them in real life and so but it's not like I mean that technology still exists and we just sort of like brought it back and right. brought it back into sort of the writing community which again like they weren't really the ones that were Using those keyboards, it was, uh, you know, gamers and programmers, right? And so, yeah, and, and and I think once we sort of reintroduce this sort of like desktop style mechanical keyboard, I mean, people, I mean, that's the one thing that people really continuously tell us like how much they love. Yeah, and and th- that's it's something I, I like to key on because you know we just did the Cream Magazine documentary um, mm-hmm. that came out this summer. You know, we crowdfunded, and I was one of the guys filming it, and both in the interviews of the writers, and then you can see this evidence in a scene in Almost Famous, uh, a talk between Lester Bangs and the character that represents Cameron Crowe, you know, one of the first questions that Lester asked him is, you know, what typewriter are you using? And it's this, it's just like you're in the inside club if you're using right. the right typewriter that has the right, you know, focus. And, you know, there, there's a big scene in Cream of a fight between Dave Marsh and Lester Bangs. It's, you know, the worst thing that Lester, or that, Dave Marsh could do to, to Lester to get under his skin was to mess with his typewriter. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's that, that subtle game of, un, you know, disrupting the flow, disrupting the field, disrupting that tactile um, interface with the writing that, that I got to imagine, you know, the hardcore writers buying your project are keyed into that factor. And that's a big selling point. For sure. And I think one of the things that I realized, you know, actually coming into this as a non-writer, I mean, I've written blog posts, but I've never written a book or anything like that. Right. Is that after talking to lots and lots and lots of writers at this point, um, really coming to understand that, you know, while it may seem extreme for a writer to buy this expensive, you know, very niche device, turns out that I'd say pretty much every writer has some method to help them stay focused. Totally. Yeah. And you know, you you hear you've heard. Um, there's sort of these famous stories. Um, Jonathan Franzen has an old Dell laptop that he puts glue in the Ethernet ports because you know even just not having a Wi-Fi card was wasn't enough. You know he yeah. had to really sabotage it. Or George R. R. Martin, um, sort of famously, also uses an old DOS machine with WordStar. And right. uh, there's there's just you know loads and loads of stories. And even people, I mean, this really blows my mind. But um, you know, writing longhand, you know, with pen and paper. Yeah. And I just I can't even imagine writing a fifty thousand oh. word book <laughs> longhand. It's it's such a it's such a a subtle Easter egg in pop culture. You know, um, again, a big Aaron Sorkin fan. If you look at The West mm-hmm. Wing and you look at um, 
um, Studio 60, the short-lived series right after it, there's so many subtle nods to the writing process baked into those characters. And, and you're always seeing Sam Seaborn when he gets really blocked, he just pulls up the yellow pad. And so that's, you know, so I, I, you know, I think that that is, you know, gotta be one of the big features, but that's only half of the story. Let's talk about what I think is really the big contributor to cutting down the distraction is your screen and the way it connects and, yeah. and uploads the content. Yeah, the screen is unusual because, you know, while people have generally experienced the Yang screen like in a Kindle, um, you know, it's never really been used for a, in a writing device. And, and it's, there's some certain, definitely some compromises because it's not nearly as fast to refresh as an LCD. Um, but that's also why we really focus the device on, on the editing, or sorry, on the drafting process and not the editing process. And and this is also sort of baked into it, and it's worth mentioning. The Freeride concept, both devices, really are meant to be the, the they're really meant as tools within a very specific writing process where you draft top to bottom and then you edit later. Right. And so it it's you know, there's there's research, there's there's a lot of history about sort of how they're how this is actually taught in a lot of um like MFA programs and and writing courses where when you separate sort of the cre- the creative from the critical mind, you can really optimize for each of those processes. Totally. So the free write is really, really meant to be just a drafting machine. And we've taken a lot of steps to sort of to really take out a lot of the editing functionality as well, just in the hopes that it can help people sort of get in that flow state and stay there. And so yeah. the screen, um, you know, because it's e-ink, it's not as fast as an LCD, but because the whole device is really trying to keep you moving forward, the screen in a lot of ways is just, it almost becomes an afterthought. And we hear from a lot of writers that it's great to look at, but they find themselves sort of staring into space a lot of times. You know, right. it's, it's something that, it's just a backup really to see what, they're, what they've been writing. And, and they're allowed to just kind of let the words flow out. And that's exactly what we hoped, you know, when we created the device. And, and the cool thing about the screen is that it really does look like paper in a lot of ways. And, and we always have this really funny experience where we've taken the devices to shows, whether it's like BookCon or Book Expo or um, AWP, and we'll have very, you know, purposely, like we have put um, sort of a little spotlight on, on the device. And the more light that you put on it, the more fake it looks. Right. And so people <laughs> will come up and they'll think these are just demo models or something. And then I, you know, hit some keys and then they change. And it's like, wow, what? That's a real, like, what? You know, we always get these really funny responses. Like, yeah. that's a real thing that's working. And that, how does it look like that? You know, it looks like a sticker or something that, that the key that has the words on it. Yeah. Your um, hero image, you know, I know that's the real device. And it, it, it's, it looks like a render. It's like, no, that can't be right. That's, yeah. It's the real thing. Yeah. It's the real thing. And yeah. so it's, it's a, it's a cool, implementation of that e-ink technology that I love and we it's super low power so you know you again you can take it anywhere and 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 um it's got the battery life and so it's just again it's really optimized for the writing process where laptops can do lots of other things but they don't do this type of writing as well as the free write does totally so i i wanted to ask all those technical questions and kind of unpack that because I think that this campaign and, and, and Jeff and I have talked about this, mm-hmm. that you've touched on something that is pretty rare in the crowdfunding space where you've, you've got a physical design that is the manifestation of this place that creatives need to go to, you know, and, and, you know, we, we most creatives can speak to this, like, you know, I'm a drummer and I do video work, right? So, you know, when I'm deeply engaged in those two things, I'm, you know, you're trying to get to a headspace where you kind of disconnect from from yourself and you're, you're really truly in the creative groove. And what you were talking about is, you know, writers staring off into space and it's becoming this backup. That, you just rarely, rarely, rarely have a device that is truly an assistant to that before it's all mental, right? You know, it's, you know, what am I doing to my space? What am I doing? You know, 
in my diet or my routine or my plan to get myself there. And, you know, this is kind of a unicorn in that space and, and um, pretty genius. And I'm curious is how the feedback has fueled the, 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 the crowdfunding success of, you know, the first product flowing into this product. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. I mean, that, that's why we're hot on this. I mean, it, it's such a, so rare that you see that. There's only a handful of devices I can think of out there that, that can do that, you know? Yeah, I I mean, part of it is it, it's, I mean, it, it really makes a statement and there's there's values that drive the product design. And, you know, one of them I just mentioned, which is keeping the writing the writer moving forward at all costs. And so when it comes to, making design decisions, we can always point back to, you know, well, does this keep the writer moving forward? And does it not? You know, and then those are that's a that's a good, really good way to decide whether you should, you know, add LED backlighting or, you know, what whatever it is. Right. Um and you know, I think the thing I, I I'm my background is mechanical engineering. I've focused on product design now and I'm Definitely love product design and and you know I've thought a lot about it, but I think I think one of the most important concepts is that most people well, I shouldn't say most people I think one of the most important concepts is that when you add something you're almost by definition taking away from something else right and there's a um, and it doesn't feel like that you know when you just look at something but that is how it works. Um, and, and, and like marketing is a perfect example, right? Like if you spread your message too, too thin, like you talk about too many different things, then nothing really matters. Right. Like nothing resonates, right? Yeah, what, what is this thing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and so, and, and product design is exactly the same, even though, you know, it may seem like, oh, well, we can just bury this feature just for those people that really want it. But, you know, there's no way around the fact that even if you have this extra little feature, you know that's going to take away from some some of the core value. And yeah. So we we take that really seriously and and that's why the free ride is like it's such a hardcore device in terms of like its purity. Like we really were draconian in terms of how we decided what's going to be on it and what's not. Um and then and I think mo- moving into the traveler it gave us an opportunity to introduce some some different things you know the big thing was that with freewrite there's no arrow keys and on our first kickstarter there was a couple almost like mutinies like i thought people were going to like come to my house about arrow <laughs> keys. you know it was like it was unbelievable and uh, but people were really incensed about the idea that there would be no arrow keys on this writing device like how could you and um, you know how and people would say to us stuff like well how dare you tell us how to write yeah. And I just, I don't know, you know, I'm not telling anyone how to write. I'm just making a tool for a specific type of writing process. And if you don't follow that writing process, that's completely fine and up to you. You then it's just, you know, and I, I understand because people see the product in, in that and they think like, well, it's so close to what I want, you know, right. just make this thing for me. But that's just not, you know, that's just not how I do things. Like, you know, I, I, I make it for the people that want it, you know, like there are other people out there. It's, we don't make it for any one specific person. They've clearly never heard of the Steve Jobs function key wars then, right? <laughs> right. So, right. <laughs> so, so, but I think we, with Traveler, because it is another product, right. like we did have an opportunity to sort of think about how we could, you know, augment it. And we did add these hotkey enabled arrow keys. We also added a document manager, so it's a little bit more standalone. You don't have to go back to Postbox, which is our cloud service, to, to mm-hmm. do some things like deleting documents, for example. And um, and yeah, and, and I think that's fine. And I think and also it's it's smaller, it's portable. So I think there's a different context for the device as well. And um, you know, so far we've had we've shipped several thousand of them out to customers, mm-hmm. and we've had you know overwhelmingly a really good you know, really good feedback. Yeah. So how, let's shift to the marketing story of this. How did, how did the word of mouth spread? How did you get the word out um, to specifically the Traveler campaign 
to achieve what you did with, you know, you know, nearly 2,600 backers at, you know, three quarters of a million dollars. Yeah. And we, we took two very different approaches between the original Freeride Kickstarter and the Traveler Indiegogo campaign. Not only are they on two different platforms, but right. um, two different two different approaches, two different place times in our life cycle. You know, at the, at the beginning, it was we had no company, uh, we had no people, we had no real community. Traveler was what four years into our company, and we had customers and all that stuff. So we also had a failed Kickstarter in between that. So that that actually taught us oh, yeah. some hard That'll lessons as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that we we learned some hard lessons with that, and and it also pushed us back to our writing community because that that middle one, which was for this uh, concept called Clap Boss, was more of a smart homey gadget type of thing. So it wasn't really for our writing community, and um, we thought it was really clever, and uh, we don't need to go into it, but it eventually it just didn't really take off, and so right. we decided to pull the plug. But, um. So in terms of marketing, I'd say we did a very traditional sort of, I don't know what I would call like an experienced crowdfunding um, launch. So we had a big pre-launch campaign. And I think one of the most important things that we did is we didn't rely on our existing customer list. We actually went out there and made a landing page or a couple landing pages and drove traffic to it and created you know buzz for that specific project, which was the Freeride Traveler. We didn't, you know, again, like you could imagine, well, we already have all these Freeride customers and we have a right. you know, pretty big email list, like a bunch of those people will probably want it. And that's true, but we didn't rely on that. We built its own, we made our own email list uh, just for that project. And, you know, I think this is pretty typical advice and I, and I agree with it. I think we built, you know, eight to 10,000 people or something just specifically for that product launch. Right. And then, you know, we did the thing. Um, and we, you know, we had, we had a, you know, we had a video made and we did Facebook and, you know, yeah. advertising and the whole thing. Well, that, um, that conversion rate tracks. Like if you had about 10,000, you know, you're going to see anywhere from a 20 to 30% conversion on that email list. And that's that's right about where you landed here at twenty six hundred backers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it's a little bit of a it's tricky because the Indiegogo thing goes so long because we yeah. didn't really close, you know, because that includes in in demand people. And I think by the end of the actual like live campaign, we were probably closer to we were in the six hundreds. Um, but then also we sold a similar amount on our website over the last two years. So oh, wow. all in, I mean, I think we did over 1.5, you know, in pre-sales. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's two years of... <laughs> yeah, two years. Well, that's, you know, <clears throat> that is one of the, you know, people talk about the differences between the two platforms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kickstarter definitely, I think, when you have a product that resonates, there's a community there to support it. And you know, that if you have a product that resonates is the caveat to that. Most people, you know, think it's this money cloud that rains down on ideas and that's not true. Yeah, definitely um, not true. But but with that comes some limitations on what you can do in the back end of your ad targeting. And and Indiegogo operates more like a traditional um, e-com platform where you can do retargeting campaigns, retention campaigns. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that you had this nice long tail, you know, raising about another, you know, half almost half a million right uh, between your website yep. and that yeah so that, that that is you know if you've done that work like you said of building that list you can see long-term benefits by using the platform um i'm curious you know uh, when, when when i started following you immediately an ad pops up which kudos to you um you know but the ad was kind of a a, a case study of one of your writers you know i'm curious as to how using your customer experience fueled your ad experience yeah, it's it's something that we've been trying to get better at, which is putting a lot more um, user testimonials out there. And we, we you know we have that, we have ads that are running all different kinds of creative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we've we've in the last year, I think we've done a much better job of actually soliciting testimonials from our customer base. And people, it's funny because our product, you know, it's it's a it's funny, right? It's it's you know, writers are not known for being uh, have a lot having a lot of disposable income, right. and our product is you know relatively expensive, and we obviously know that. Um, 
And so I think like we've had, we've definitely had like A-list writers and screenplay writers and actors and all kinds of people buy the product. I think they're always a little bit not, they're just like a little sensitive about showing it off because yeah. it's like, oh, here's me, fancy person with a $500 hipster typewriter thing. Well, not only that, you know, they're, when you when you become known, your your name is is a type of capital, right? You sure. Know, giving it away, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes yeah. that can be transactional. Yeah. But but what the reality is is that um, we do track like sort of usage in general, and we've had over a hundred million words have been written on the devices, and now you know lots of books and lots of screenplays have been published and written on them. So you know. I'm like, well, we need to, you know, we need to encourage these writers, yeah. you know, to Help tell us. their friends. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, that and and we do get a lot of benefit by the fact that um, you know, writers are relatively well connected and they belong to writers groups and they're on Twitter uh predominantly and so they are sharing, you know, a lot, I think, but we just yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we tr- we're trying to focus on really encouraging people to, you know, share their experiences. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a very effective ad. Like, that's just the first thing I saw it. I was like, oh, nice. <laughs> Thank I you. I like that. Yeah. Um, so, it's, how do you deal with the niche of your audience, right? You know, at some point, especially if you're doing large-scale digital marketing, there's, there's only going to be a finite number of people that fit, you know, what you're targeted for. How, how do you project earnings in the future and, and, and your, your roadmap in the future, knowing that there's X number of writers in the world that are going to use this. Yeah, it's something we've had to deal with. I mean, yeah. I, especially with the original free ride, I mean, that was super niche. You know, not only was it, you know, a relatively expensive writing tool, but it was also a writing tool that was meant to go within a specific writing philosophy, which is this drafting and then editing thing. And so not only did you have to find a customer that was willing to spend that kind of a money on a dedicated writing device, but they also had to be willing to, or already bought into this distraction-free drafting-only right. concept. That's like a pretty big sell. Yeah, the, the Venn diagram gets narrower. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, which you know has its benefits as well because because we did have some success. You know, the product also becomes a bit of like a. Uh, you know, it's a statement piece, right? Like right. if you if you see someone with a free ride, it's like you know that person's pretty serious. You right. know, like they they've really made a commitment, and they they have, um, you know, like they've also thought about their writing process enough that they're willing to just focus on drafting, and they understand like okay, this is like this is how I'm going to you know get as much words out as many words out. Oh man, grammar. <laughs> uh, get as many words out on the page as possible. So, I think when we when we're developing new products, I mean, with Traveler for sure, we were, you know, we wanted to expand our you know market size, right? And you know, one of the ways we could do that is by you know having something that's lower cost. Um, another way is sort of having. Um, an industrial design, a look that's maybe more amenable to some people. Um, even though I think the original free ride is still awesome and something special, uh, you know. But we spent a lot of time, you know, making the the traveler fit with our brand, but also again, it's laptop esque. Right. It's definitely not a regular laptop. Um, but maybe yeah. you won't get quite as many looks if you were in a coffee shop. Well, well p- portability has been solved. Right, you yes. don't have to. You don't have to reinvent how this will fold. And That's fit. true. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's super. Por- it's one point six pounds. It's half the footprint of a laptop. And um, you know, we spent a lot of time and energy getting it down to that form factor, um, and also still having a full size keyboard because you know it's for writing. So I mean, and I think yeah, I mean that's sort of our plan. It's like with every new product, sort of just edging out our customer base, not not abandoning our customers, but. Again, like, what would our customers want, and then some? Yeah. So how how does that translate into your marketing efforts? Like, what what kind of ads, what kind of strategies are you using to to address um, that that outcome? I think of marketing as almost entirely a way to just encourage word of mouth conversations, and. You know, we present the product to people the first time, but especially with an expensive sort of niche device, 
hey, it's so rare that people would just be like, I'm going to buy that. So for us, I, I think of our marketing again, like that's again why we want to use these user testimonials because it really requires people to hear about it from someone they trust. Um, and so I, I think whenever we th- when, whenever we're doing marketing campaigns, it's it's all about you know that social proof. I, I really believe in that very strongly, and um, just in trying to encourage that as much as we can. So you know, by definition, that means that your your social media strategy has to have a heavy emphasis on engagement. You know, how, how much energy are you putting into keeping conversation going? Well, we're trying. I mean, but we also do everything really bad, <laughs> poorly. I don't know what the right word is, but um, I, I mean, we've have we have a tiny team. There's five of us. Right. So, and and actually, I only hired our first marketing person this year. Never had a full time marketing person until August of this year. So, <laughs> I mean, we you know we've had a lot of ideas, and we've we, we've obviously been doing marketing, but everyone everyone that's been you know, writing our emails or strategy or whatever, it's, that's always like their second job. And so now we actually have a full-time marketing person and she's great. And we have someone that's, you know, engaging, but we, we need more people. I mean, there's too much work to do. I mean, Mark, right. I mean, you can spend, I mean, as you well know, right? Like you can yep. spend all day engaging on just one platform, let alone yep. Twitter, and Pinterest, you know, I mean, at LinkedIn, I mean, it's just, you can, you can do this forever. Yeah, let alone reacting to changes in the platform and where where your audience is moving to, adjusting to. Yeah, precisely. So we're, we're trying. I mean, I think, and and right now, now that all these people are finally getting their travelers after some of them waiting for a very long time, my goal is to. I've been really encouraging. You know, let's keep that buzz going. Like, let's encourage people to do unboxing videos. Let's you know, promote that content. Let's, you know, repost, let's reshare. We'll just constantly be kind of like keeping that buzz going. Great. Yeah. It's, it's just such a, when you say that a statement piece, I think that is one of the, the biggest incur, you know, things that if I were a writer receiving one of these and I wanted to talk about it, it, it says so much more about my choice in, in a piece of technology but communicating, like you said, the this is my philosophy of writing. You know, when you when you're looking at me, you know that this is how much thought I put into the preparation. You know, and and you know, with different creatives, you can tell those things. Like you know, when when you're a drummer, what what does a person's practice environment look like? You know, what 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 tools are they using? What you know, is it is it is it focused on on you know what I'm hearing and when I'm playing in the drums, or is it full of like you know lounge chairs and bongs and you know, what, right. what other distractions are going on in those spaces. Um, and, you know, if I can imagine, you know, if you're, especially a professional writer and you're in a writer's room in LA or, or, you know, you're, you're meeting with a publisher and you pull out this device, you're instantly communicating, you know, what type of professional you are. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what brands used to do. I think they do a lot less now, you know, brands, I think, brands are so big yeah that it's harder to find like a brand statement that's so different than anyone else you know like is nike's brand statement so different than under armor mm. you know if you see someone with nike you know like i i think it's hard whereas you know certainly creative tools um i mean guitars are a good example i mean I you're a drummer. There, yeah 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 i mean i think uh i'm a very terrible guitarist but there are statements, you know, I have like uh, people that play Fenders, you know, they, they know that there are different sort of like pluses and minuses and there's totally. tone, there's tone, right? To that specific style. And they understand like, well, that's Fender, right? Yeah. And then if you have a Gibson Les Paul or something else, right? Like that's a different style. And yeah, you can play the same songs on both guitars, but totally. there's just a different it's a different statement because it's a different tone. There's different, you know, neck shapes and all these things. And um, again, I think it's harder to find that these days with brands because brands are less willing to have, like, keep yeah. that consistent statement. Like, this is what we are. It, it's, not, we, it's not just offender or our less Paul. It's what model are you using and mm-hmm. how is the action? And, and, right. and what, 
what the action of a guitar or looking at the pickup choices really communicate that, oh, this person really cares about the feel, right. you know, the, the, the tactile connection to the instrument, you know, mm -hmm. that's why for drummers, that's why, you know, yeah, sure. The shells are important, but the head choice and stick choice is all the, that's the, that's the ball game right there. You know, what, right. what, what you're using in those two elements where, where skin is connecting with the instrument. That's, that's our version of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, you, there's a few others. I'm trying to think of them. I mean, watches are sort of a good example as well. Yeah. You know, it says, you know, the choice, there's so many choices of watches and what someone chooses, you know, whether they like it or not, probably yeah. does say something about themselves, right? Totally. And that's, um, that's so, uh, yeah, I think that's cool. Th this is an interesting point because, you know, I, I, was a, I was in the Apple marketing team um, right, right around when iPod became widespread and, um, and ended you know, as iPad was, was really settled in. And back in that era, you know, the white earbud was the mm -hmm. statement, right? Sure. If, if, you, if you saw someone with a white earbud, there's, there's things you knew about them. You know, mm -hmm. oh, they're not using an iRiver or iPod. And, you know, I think a, a healthy argument can be said of Apple that they've lost whatever it was that connected them to something special. You know, it's become so huge in so mass that that these things are meaningless at this point. You know, what what the AirPod is or the color of the the space gray keyboard and cable was the other like indicator of oh, there's something something different about this. You know, right. I'm making my statement. Um, you know, have you thought about that aspect? You know, as you're growing the company, what what types of, you know, things that set you apart that, that are going to be statement pieces for your audience? I think about it all the time, but I also have a conflicting idea, which is I think most people that go into creating products think too much about brand. Uh, so this will contradict everything I just said. <laughs> but I, I, I do think, uh, because really a brand a brand takes time. It's not just a product. It takes time. And and for you know, I think it's hard for me to express, but I think, you know, what we see as brands as consumers, that's a most of the time is that's like a lifelong experience of that yeah. brand, right? Sure. And you can't just make that in a single product launch. Right. And I think for you know, for for new creators trying to think too much of a br about brand will end up just confusing the hell out of your product and end up not you know it, it it's putting the cart before the horse yeah back so, in the day um we, we kind of trojan horsed the iPod by letting HP license it and um interesting there yeah so go back and look at the how Apple broke that barrier it was the HP iPod but there was this joke running around Apple's campus that we got in trouble for. <laughs> it was, <clears throat> was a video of what if Microsoft, what if we license iPod to Microsoft and what would they do to it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's immediately festooned with all these extra features and call out and pull tabs on the box where, you know, at the time, you know, the marketing was just, here's this object. <laughs> you know, it was, it was the most purest and simple. And I think that, you know, fast forward now, Apple is more reflective of the joke we used to have mm -hmm. than than the the simplicity of it. And I think the overthinking that is is definitely a a factor there. Yeah, I, I so I think about it, especially as we build out our product family. I think that's how I try to think about it. But when it's any one individual product, I still just try to make that product as well as I can. So I think, you know, not, not to be the marketing slappy, but I think that that was reflected in, in how your page flows and, and your experience with the, um, you know, the crowdfunding as well. I mean, these are very focused pages. You know, you're not trying to oversell or over feature the audience. Yeah. I, I, I think that's by design, but it might also <laughs> just be laziness. I'm not sure. This kind of happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, kudos to this. 
such a such a unique experience when these things come together either by design or accident. But um, you know, definitely definitely one to watch. So um, you know, the Indiegogo is closed right now. If if someone wants to get a traveler, how do they go about it? It is closed, but we are now shipping. So our website, which is getfreeright.com, um, has all of our, you know, that's our store. So anyone can go there and pick up a Freeright or the new Traveler or accessories and uh, give it a shot. Fantastic. Well, Adam, th- this has been, uh, thank you for indulging me in, in writer nerddom <laughs> and, uh, and, and product design. But uh, everyone go check out this Traveler. And, and even if you're not a writer, if you're, if you're a crowdfunder, if you're a marketer, I, I think that there's so much you can learn from these concepts of, of this thinking about your audience in these ways and, and what you said about, you know, don't add so much, think about removing it, you know, think well, what, what happens if I pile on X feature or Y feature and um, such a lesson to be learned um, for a successful campaign here. Um, yeah. Check it out. Crowdfunders. This is, this is an important one. Adam, thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. All right, how about that Adam Lieb with uh, The Traveler, the ultimate distraction-free writing tool. So um, that's it for today's episode of Successfully Funded. What can you do if you're a project creator? Remember, go out there to woodshed.agency, sign up for our email list, like us on Facebook, go check us out over on the Instagram and the Twitters and the YouTubes. And uh, when you're on the website, sign up for a free consultation. Get get in that two-minute or 20-minute conversation with Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel and myself and uh, let us go over that project with you. Let us uh, give you our best advice, our downloaded information, and help you become successfully funded. All right, that's all, folks. Wear your masks, be safe, be kind to each other, and you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. That's with us, so we're not